0: Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Mohsen Mimon and I met Mohsen through LinkedIn, as usual. Um, I saw him in my feed, and we've connected, and we chatted a moment about gamification and the gamification training that he does, and I said, oh, instead of going to your training, would you come talk to me and the people on the podcast? So that is my very brief interview introduction. So Mosin, will you please do a better job of introducing yourself?
1: Thank you. I think you did a pretty good job, Robin. Uh, thank you for having me here. My, my name is Mohsen. I am a game designer and I build games for learning. And over the last six years, I've been doing that. I've built a bunch of immersive games that are immersive in by design, not so much by technology, because these days when we, when we think about immersive, we think about Augmented or virtual reality. So what I mean is immersive by design. So so people are immersed in the gameplay while they're playing the game. Uh, so that's kind of what I do. I build games for learning, and I work with uh, a bunch of learning professionals and helping them learn how to do the same.
0: Oh my gosh! I know. I bet everybody's like, "Ooh, I want to do the same." What's how do you do this? So, but before we get into that, I want to know how did you get started? Did you start off? Uh, in another field? Did you start out knowing you wanted to be a game designer? Were you something else? And then you niched down? Well, tell me that story.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of what happened, actually. Uh, I started out in IT. I uh, worked as a, a, uh, a project manager for, for Delta Airlines and Walmart for a few years back in the States. And about 10 years ago, I decided I wanted to kind of change my my career path and, and get into learning. So I started out being a, a learning designer and I got into facilitation. So I did a lot of classroom and virtual facilitation experiences. And then eventually I started using more and more activities in my, in my programs. And I realized that um, games was going to be the way to go. I played a lot of games as a kid, but I never actually had a chance to build one of my own, and one of my clients gave me an opportunity. I just, I just did it, you know. I, I didn't. They were willing to fund it, so that was my my green flag, and they trusted me enough to do it. So I, I built my first game, and and then one step led to another. I said, hey, I can, I can actually do this, and uh, and so now I, I I build games for learning, and and I also teach game design, by the way, at a at a French design institute.
0: What was your first game that you built? You have to describe this.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, the first game I built was more of a simulation. Um, I was working with a uh, a finance company and they had a bunch of people who, uh, who were credit assessors and people who would validate the person's profile to evaluate if they should give them the loan or not. And um, the problem statement that came to me was that these, these credit evaluators tend to, uh, tend to really double down on, on some of these people and they don't do a very good job of evaluating uh, the, the risks. And, and, and sometimes they give loans to people that they shouldn't give loans to. Sometimes they give loans to people, don't give loans to people that they should give loans to. So, so what can we do? So I said, what if we build a simulation that kind of simulates a similar environment just in a classroom? And so I became the customer and I built this whole story around it. And I I came in with, you know, three different scenarios. One scenario was where I was the customer. I was trying to get a loan for a skydiving business and, you know, I was trying to do different things. And then they would have to ask me specific questions in order to get to the bottom of, you know, what's really going on and and whether decide whether they want to give me a loan or not. And and that led to a a significant improvement in their business and the kind of loans that they were offering eventually. And, uh, and that was my first game ever.
0: And what was I mean, what did it look like? So it's like a it's a almost like a scenario driven type of game. And so did you have it look like regular characters that they were just kind of uh, making choices or and asking questions? Yeah, or did you have a, a whole nother layer of fantasy on top of that?
1: Uh, no, so this one was a was kind of a serious game because it was more more simulated uh, environment of what was going on in real life. And this was actually a classroom game. So we would play the game in the classroom environment with a group of people. And and I, and I it was a complete pen and paper game. There was no technology, no support mechanisms. This, this was, I mean, the, the first game. Today, I build games with technology that, you know, really leverage technology to the next level. But back then, my very first game was just pen and paper. It's kind of like a like a prototype if you will.
0: I love it okay and so when you made your first one I mean how much research did you do into game or game mechanics or did you feel like it just kind of made sense to you just kind of all clicked like well we're just gonna put them through different scenarios and layer some story on there and get them engaged or what kind of prep did it take
1: you? Yeah, well, you know, I just, I did it overnight. I'm just kidding. No, I did not do it. I did not do it overnight. I did a lot of research with the people themselves who were because I was building a serious game. So that required A lot of industry insight, and I I did not come from a finance background, so I had to ask all these questions about, you know, how do you normally approve loans and what goes into it and what kind of questions should people be asking? So I I knew what good behavior looked like. I knew what bad behavior looked like. And then it was a question of how do we gamify this? How do we, you know, turn it into points and badges and mechanics that would kind of flow together? And... um, and it took me a while. It took me uh, close to a month to build it, and and a series of iterations through which I continuously improved the game. Uh, but eventually, when it was it was complete, done, uh, it was it was actually a very scalable system that you could teach to a facilitator, and they could go and deliver it on their own without really knowing or or having any facilitation skills either.
0: Amazing. Okay. And so that was your first spark. Now you said it was a client that you know basically funded your first. Um, you know, beta project and and creating this game. And so, um, were you a freelancer at the time?
1: No, I was. I was working with a company called MemCorp Immersive Learning at that time, and oh. and they're a learning training provider company. Uh, so so this was through them, because they were their learning partner. Of this this time company.
0: Are you still with a company? Or are you out on your own?
1: Now I I work with another company called gametar Game our Learning, and I'm the I'm the learning director there now.
0: And you're a learning director. So, do you still get to design games?
1: Absolutely. I I get I really get to do the stuff that I love doing now more than ever, which is game design. And I've, I've I've been getting into a little bit of coding recently, so that's been helping me kind of really understand the inner mechanics of of how to build some of these things, and that's been a huge help as well.
0: Can you share with us, like, just I mean, how big are your projects right now that you work with with gamatar i mean is it um full like a very immersive game with all the bells and whistles like you'd expect you know playing on an xbox or
1: it's <laughs>
0: describe this for us what is sure it, i mean what kind of projects sure dis- disclose it's, uh, it's a
1: it's a good blend uh but the bulk of my work uh, is around two areas. One is with very somewhat large-scale projects where there is a need to, to train anywhere from 5,000 to 15,000 or 20,000 people, and um, and all of those people need to go through a certain simulation or go through a game or uh, a game-based learning experience. So I'll, I'll tell you about a, a client that I'm working with right now. It's a financial institution, very very large company, uh, and they they want to uh, ensure they've got an entire learning curriculum, an entire learning program, and they're leveraging tools like DeGreed and all these other LMSs that's out there. But their biggest concern is how do we get people there, right? And how do we get people to learn there, not just get them there, but also learn something. So, so we built this, uh, this entire game system, which takes in, in, in content, which can be fully customized and, awards them points and then asks them questions about the material that they're supposed to learn. And then as they learn those things, they it awards them points that they then use to unlock these superpowers that they can use to save these different cities that are in danger. And that becomes their goal. So their goal is to save these cities. And then there's another secondary and tertiary goal over that, which is uh, that they are competing against other teams that are in the same environment, in the same ecosystem. So, so you know, imagine there are these five thousand people who are going through this experience, and and there are teams of like five hundred people, uh, and there could be ten teams that are going against one another. So it's kind of like you know Harry Potter's red house, blue house, green house, whatever, and 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 so all of these different teams are are trying to do their best. And, and the more they learn, the more cities they save, the, the better their team does. So, so that's an example of what I'm working on these days.
0: And then do they award prizes for the best team?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. They've got, they've got <laughs> monthly prizes for the best team. For, and there are different uh, different ways of, of evaluating. So there are some best learners who may not be from the best teams. And that's one of the things that we thought about. You know, we didn't want to... Uh, create a disadvantage for a learner just because that individual happened to be in a team that doesn't care about learning, you know, because Mm -hmm. they will be there. They're always there. And um, and so we wanted to award the individual activity as well as the team activity, uh, because it is a team game as well, where one person can encourage the other person. And this really facilitates a lot of social learning as well.
0: So it's all kind of built on top of their learning management systems and their content, almost like if you were to put Gamey Press on your WordPress site, I mean, I'm simplifying. Kind of,
1: kind of. We've got, uh, we've built this tool. Uh, it's a game called Superhero Within, and the Superhero Within integrates with with a lot of these uh, LMS technologies. It can also work standalone as a separate tool entirely, uh, and and it kind of runs the entire gamification or game gamifying of the learning via content. And activities.
0: All right. So you started getting into games, and I'm sure that you went down um, rabbit holes of game theory and um, driving behaviors through like a gamified learning theory. So, when you, I noticed you kind of talked about, you know, you really had to find out what your learners do right and what they do wrong mm-hmm. and really analyze uh, where they come from. But what other things do you take into consideration? before you you know right when you start to design the game right because before you ever start developing anything I'm sure you lay out your game plan so Mm -hmm. what does that look like what's kind of that process you guys go through
1: wow Uh, that's such a great question and such a tricky one too because there's so much that goes into it I'm not sure if I can do justice to that question you know in at one go but I'll try I'll try because it's such a lengthy process it's kind of like asking a director how do you make a movie you know uh-huh. because this is this is the closest thing that most people can relate to that game designers do they are actually directors of movies and and you've got to take into account the script the audio the visual the actors the the audience who's watching the movie you know everything from start to end and so so really what goes into the games that i tend to design is that it starts with an objective it starts with why are we designing this game why is this here you know and one of the things that that i uh, like to do a lot is to focus on which are the key mechanics that we're going to introduce into the game in fact incidentally i'm i'm currently writing uh, a a series of posts with a hashtag 21 game mechanics And you can just search this this hashtag on on LinkedIn and I've published five articles so far in this this category. And and each month or so I will write about one mechanic. Uh, And and I try to make it very, very specific to the learning industry so that uh, instructional designers and, and learning practitioners can use what I'm writing and learn about how they can use a certain mechanic like freedom or like variety or a mechanic like feedback or purpose or vision and use these mechanics to enhance their own learning content, their own learning programs and designs. So, so to answer your question really, uh, it starts with the objective and then there are then mechanics and then there are layers of story and, and art and all of these things that go on top of it. And, and a big consideration is also the budget because you know games, games can cost a bit to make and, and uh, they can cost anywhere from, I don't know, $50,000 all the way up to 500 if not more, $1,000 to build. And so so what is it that we're, what kind of a range we're operating in will also dictate how we go about um, which elements to introduce and, and not.
0: Are there any kind of rules or rules of thumb that you use when thinking about mechanics, how they combine, how many make something more you know repeatable or playable than others are there any kind of rules like that or is it just like you use the mechanics to drive the behaviors that you want to enforce or is it something else that you think about when you think about combining your different mechanics
1: yes and no i mean the the way mechanics work they're kind of like tools or they're kind of like um they're kind of like parts that, that come together, some work on their own, some work with others really, really well. So to give you an example, one of the games I de- designed is a game called Evive, and, and I've built an entire certification program around Evive to help learning practitioners use Evive to facilitate their own learning experiences as well. And and the objective of, uh, of Evive is to facilitate collaboration, but... It, its objective is to facilitate collaboration under the backdrop of uh, competition. So, so if teams don't see that they need to collaborate and they don't talk about collaboration or they, they don't talk about a common goal, then teams can end up competing against one another and not achieve the common goal. So the mechanics in this context was, okay, how do we first get teams to compete with one another? And then how do we get them to see that they will do better if they collaborate with one another? And and so that is a process of realization that we have to take people through. It's kind of like a journey, you know? And, and Just the way you've got a journey in life with realization and reflection that leads to certain changes and shifts in your mindset and your thought process, the same thing happens in a game environment because people are going through this journey. It's kind of like they've lived a life together and they've had certain realizations which will leave them changed at some level or another.
0: It, that reminds isn't there a game theory about collaboration, right, where it's all about the only way to win is to cooperate. You know what I'm talking
1: about? I do. I do. You're talking about Nash's equilibrium. And, yes. and, and that's that's part of game theory. And, and I think learning game theory is very, very important for not just game designers, but really anybody who wants to understand people and understand how people operate because every single person that you meet is trying to increase their payout or payoff. and And in doing so, they are taking certain actions which are helping them move along that path. I think, I think learning professionals who understand game theory and Nash's equilibrium end up designing better learning programs than those who don't.
0: So should we send them, like, do you want to send out some recommendations right now where people can go and learn about game theory? Should they just yeah that into google or they can
1: they can i mean there's so much material around game theory that you could just you could just type it and i don't know if you've seen this movie uh a beautiful mind russell Crowe. i don't know if you've seen that uh pretty pretty old movie but that's that's nash basically that's john nash and and he's the one who founded uh you know discovered uh, nash's equilibrium
0: okay so what what is this um you teach instructional designers how to design games. And I'm sure that, you know, while you don't want to give away your whole class right now, what are some I mean, what's kind of like the outline look like? What's the kind of things that you teach instructional designers? What what are the questions that they have or what kind of level do sure, you teach sure. in that class? Yeah.
1: So I'll I'll try and maybe start a little bit with the purpose of why did I start doing this and then and then I'll tell you what I do teach. Is that okay?
0: Of course. Cool.
1: So, so I realized that a lot of learning professionals, instructional designers, and uh, learning practitioners who are facilitators uh, would love to use games for learning. And, and I know that because I have so many friends, and, and I've been that, right? I've, I've done that bit of work for a very long time, so I, I resonate and I understand that uh, it's very, very important to create engagement uh, for our learners, yet at the same time, I realized that building a game is expensive uh, and, and it's a very specific skill that is required to do this. Uh, so I, I began to think and I said, what if, what if there was a game which was adaptive and it allowed facilitators to use the way that they wanted to? What if there was a game that allowed them to make some changes, some small changes in their design and allow them to facilitate it for competencies like collaboration, communication, problem solving, decision-making, strategic thinking and beyond, right? So there's a range of six or seven competencies that we've identified that are most commonly facilitated or run in the corporate arena. And so, so my endeavor was to build this game and then make it available for learning practitioners around the world to use. And, and once I built it, the question was, all right, now I've got to teach them how to, how to use this thing. And that's where the facilitation certification program came from, or the game-based learning certification program came from. And, and so basically the outline, it starts with, it's a four week long program. It starts with learners first going through the game itself. They've got to play the game. And when they play the game, They get a full appreciation of what goes into it and develop empathy so that they're able to understand what a typical learner will go through as they're playing the game as well. And the second week is about understanding the the technology and how to work it. The third week is about understanding the mechanics that are inside the game so that they can tweak different mechanics to address the various needs and learning objectives that they might have. And the fourth final week is is their final submission where they actually conduct a live game, a live multiplayer online game-based learning session for their community or their friends and family or people that they uh, they wanna bring into the experience to let them try. And it's a very, very practical and hands-on experience throughout the four weeks.
0: Oh my gosh, this sounds like so much fun. So I might definitely take you up on your offer um, to come join your class.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> so.
0: I know, right? Uh, so now the game that you teach, it's, uh, you, you said that t- you, they learn the technology, but it's done virtually synchronous, like at the same time? Is that, I mean, so when you said, yeah. s- explain this to me. Yeah. So is it a in-person game? I mean, a, a virtual instructor-led game or is it an online game? game.
1: Yeah, the one that I have the certification program for is an instructor led yeah. game. Uh, and okay. the way it, the program works is that everybody comes together to play the game. By the way, you don't need to be in the certification program to play the game. Okay, so if you do want to play the game, or if any of the, the, the people listening to this do want to play the game, I'd be more than happy to, to share the link uh, that, that can lead them straight to a sign-up form where they can sign up and join us to play the game. I host a game every week on Thursday, uh, depending on the time zone that you're in, it, it could be either Thursday morning or Thursday night. And, um, and I run these certification programs once a month at the start of every month. And the, the entire program is, is built, uh, so that people can learn at their own pace. The only time that they have to be together is when they're playing the game because it is a multiplayer game. But after that point, the entire game is self-paced. So you can go as fast or as slow as you
0: want. Oh my gosh. I think you just piqued everybody's in- interest. So are you gonna share the link later? <laughs>
1: I will, I'll share the link with you.
0: Okay, I guess it's um, too long of a link to like just say. Yeah,
1: it is because it's uh it's kind <laughs> of that encrypted thing, which is kind of a long link.
0: B X Y two one something like that,
1: something like that. Or you could, if you are interested in the certification program, you could just type on Google Evive certification program, and you'll you'll definitely find it. It's going to be the first thing that comes up most likely.
0: All right. Well, good. That's good to know. Okay. And so, um, and so you you actually teach people how to do build this um, instructor led game and. I think the thing that people probably shy away from is because they don't even think about how you can, how easily you can add gamification to uh, your instructor-led trainings. I think most people are thinking about, oh, do I need to be able to use Unity Developer or something? Yeah. Yeah. But but there are ways where we can add gamification to the tools we already use. So do you ever um, share just simple tips like that about, cheap, easy ways to start adding gamification?
1: I do. I do. Actually, I'm a huge fan of using very, very frugal and simple technology and very, very simple tools to run games. And and that's been actually, that's been my very starting point. You know, as I shared the story earlier, started with pen and paper. My, my first technology enabled game was actually using uh, WhatsApp and Microsoft Excel, and I built that um, over a couple of days uh, and, and it was a very, very simple game. Uh, my point is that you don't need to know you know, Unity and Unreal Game Engine and no C++ or whatever kind of coding that's out there. I'm just now learning coding and that's just because I'm interested and I wanna make some changes on my own games now, uh, but, but really you don't need any of those uh, techno- technological skills. What you really need is a shift in your mindset because you can add game elements to just about anything that you can imagine. I mean, you remember when I invited you to to play the game? I I actually gamif- gamified the entire invitation. Do you remember that, Robin?
0: Yes. Yeah. Which I really appreciated. Which is also why I invited you to come talk to me. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, he's so clever. He needs to come talk to me.
1: <laughs> so so what I mean to say is, you can you can gamify just about anything, and that's. That's the coolest thing because the moment you realize that you're the one in control, all it requires is a shift in your mindset. Then you can really start to do all kinds of incredible things.
0: So do you, I mean, you have to have your favorite elements. They probably just kind of, you don't, you probably don't even mean to, but you pick the same things. Like I've kind of heard you um, mention a couple of times, mostly like you're like uh, narrative, story, fantasy. So do you have a few, you know, pet elements that you really like to include or you like working with Yeah when you okay
1: I do I do and you really just caught me red-handed here because I <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely have some favorites and when it comes to uh, game design I think there's kind of um, a, a trend in, in all of the games that I tend to design. Uh, one is that they will they will often mostly in, in nearly all cases unless I'm forced to not do it. Uh, they will always be uh, something about sci-fi. So they always have a sci-fi component or element to it, whether it's about superheroes, whether it's about the planet, or it's about extraterrestrial something, moving to a different sort of planet or something along those lines. Uh, That's one of my themes that I really love to just continuously do different things with. And the other is is more functional, which is um, most of my games are multiplayer because I believe we learn in a social environment far better than we do in a single player environment. So so a lot of my games are gonna be multiplayer where people can interact with one another, even if it's not synchronous, even if it's asynchronous, they will still be able to to have that multiplayer feel and and element to it.
0: Do you ever go into a situation and do consultation about how you could add some more fun to training? (laughs)
1: all the time of
0: course i think you do because i mean i'm just thinking about i uh i feel like you know i i am a huge fan of gamification those elements and i mentioned before we started talking that i did my uh dissertation on gamification of corporate training Mm -hmm. and so even in my academy i am always looking for ways to drive competition and i give rewards oh cool and we have budget badges and certificates and, um, you know, walls of win. And I was just wondering, like, when you go and look at like, I don't know, like, I know you have your own certificate program, but when you go and look at, um, say, consulting on somebody else's project, what what are some of the things that you look for that are like quick wins? Like if you were to come into the Academy and you were to see, Oh, how else could Mm -hmm. you add more fun to your programs? What are some of the things that you look for? Uh, This is my own selfish question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because, uh, incidentally I'm working with a, a, a telecom, very large telecom client out of the Southeast Asian, uh, peninsula. And, um, I'm helping them. They've got a leadership academy, and I'm helping them to improve engagement uh, into their leadership academy, and and it's it's very similar to the, to the kind of question that you're you're asking now. And one of the things that I like to do is is I like to first and foremost understand what's there. You know, uh, there's a there's an old Japanese saying, "Ginsu which means to go see and go look, uh, and. And that's the really the first step before anything else to just see what's going on. Uh, It's very easy to slap points, badges, leaderboards to things, uh, but it's not always effective. Uh, And so my first step here would be to to take a look at what you do, how does your your certification program work and what kind of game mechanics you're leveraging already. And then look at what can we do to enhance that, Uh, of course, filtering it through the objective filter.
0: And what do you find are like the quickest ways to enhancing is like, for instance, I gave a prize mm-hmm. for if they completed the do it messy two week start within two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, and like 31 people completed it. Right. But it wasn't a required thing. And then I saw other people who were like, oh, two weeks to get all that done is just too much and they were stressed out but 31 people got it so how do you know if your game mechanic is successful is it about like the number of people that have success and have fun or is like is there a ratio of complainers versus winners or yeah (laughs) because not I mean not everybody's got to is going to react to the game mechanic the same way correct exactly should they no
1: they shouldn't and they won't because that's People are different and they the different mechanics appeal to different people. Some people are competitive by nature. So they they really appreciate the competitive mechanic where there's leaderboards and there's that sense of competition and, you know, uh, one-up manship. So, so that really facilitates their action and motivates them. While on the other hand, some people are driven by purpose. They really need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And that facilitates and fuels their motivation. So, so your game mechanics have to be well-balanced to be able to facilitate same kind of results for different people. And, and that's really where the art of game mechanics and, and game design comes from.
0: Yeah, I think that would be the art because how do you, I like that you, I mean, I feel like you've already kind of given me some clarity by saying there's a difference between those that are motivated by competition and those who um, need to know what the purpose mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. is. And so, you, so even when you do something like, Leaderboards competition, you are also thinking about the other type of learners. And then do you kind of um, include both pieces those who do and those who don't like competition, or do you just add another element that will please? those that are looking for purpose?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So so depending on to what extent you're using the competition mechanic, as long as it's not overdone, you could introduce another mechanic that could facilitate and take care of the others. Um, And you could also, you could use, in in some cases, you could use a single game element that has a combination of multiple mechanics, which takes care of a lot of different uh, types of people. And, and what motivates them.
0: Ooh, what's an example of one of those, like story? <laughs> Everybody loves story,
1: story, yeah, story and narrative is another one. I think one of the things that really, really um, help you to understand these is, is also understanding human needs. Uh, and I don't mean Maslow's you know, hierarchy, I'm talking about, I don't know if you've, if you've watched this uh, TED talk by Tony Robbins in which he talks about the six human needs Have
0: you? Uh, no, but I do like Tom Tony Robbins, so I'm actually writing it down because I have to go watch it now. Yeah, it's a
1: really really cool one. Uh, It's one of my favorites actually. And he talks about these six human needs, and and in it he talks about you know there's there's um, uh, there is things like variety. You want you want certainty, but you also want variety. And so he talks about all of these different mechanics uh, or different human needs which are so essential. So when we, when we understand these human needs, we're able to design our learning design uh, and game, game design better uh, in that way.
0: Oh my gosh, I had, so it was like, okay, six human needs. I like was gonna Google it. I was like, I bet everybody wants to know what are the six. Ones. Okay, so the first one is certainty for sure, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's certainty. There is um, uncertainty as well, which is variety. Uh, I believe there is yeah. love and connection. Yep. Um. And uh, I'm I'm forgetting the others, but but they're there. Significance.
0: Significance. There significance, you go. Significance. Growth and contribution. There you go.
1: You got it. hmm That's it.
0: And so and so many of those. I mean, I really like um you pointing this out, Mosin, is because this also is what adult learners. I mean, it's very it aligns very well with what we know about. Adult learners, right? They want to contribute their own experiences, Mm -hmm. right? And so it it makes sense. I think it's actually probably even more enlightening to how we design things if if we think about those six human needs.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the so the competitors are are looking for significance, you know, typically. And and so when they when they reach the top of the charts, you know, when they're in front, they get a lot of significance. Uh, There are those of us who like to contribute. So so if the game had a multiplayer component where people play together and work towards a common goal, well, you've got your contribution right there. So it encourages those people to play. Uh, If you're talking about, you know, love and connection or or finding some sort of a connection with others, you create those intimate conversations within uh, or reflective opportunities within your learning design. Uh, Now you're taking care of those people. So, so it's, you know, we all have these six needs. They're just, they're, they're at different proportions for each of us. And and when we understand that, then we're able to design some of the the, the games and learning experiences that cater to a very holistic set of audience.
0: Oh my gosh. I think, mostly I think that you just uh, brought out the mindset that you, you've been talking about, you know, that perspective. I mean, to think about just, I feel like if you've just made it so eye-opening to just talk about game mechanics and as far as the six human needs, right? Cause that's just, that's just something that's a, that's a list you can go back to over and over again. Is that yeah. something, what other kinds of lists or um, human needs or uh, characteristics do you think about the most? Is that list what you think about the most when you're thinking about um, serving the different types of learners or do you have other frameworks that you have stored away mm-hmm. that you wanna point out to us, like other resources?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, this is this is my go-to, especially in, in games for learning. Uh, this is my go-to list that I look at and, and think through as I am um, designing a game or adding mechanics or removing mechanics. In some cases, your game will do better without certain mechanics. So some cases you have to remove mechanics. That's happened to me in the past where I've I've thought about a certain mechanic, and I said, oh, this is going to look really nice. or It's going to play out really nice. And then it doesn't happen that way. Uh, And that's one of the other reasons why playtesting your game is very, very important. Because you'll think it's going to unfold in a certain way, but it it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, So so, uh, this is one list that I look at. Another one that I uh, use for designing games is something called a DPE model. Uh, DPE, which means Design Play Experience Model. It's a very, very cool model, very simple model. Uh, uh, and and it's, it's one of the things I also teach in my game design class. Another one I use is uh, Yukai Chow's Chao's uh, Octalysis, uh, which is a fantastic uh, design system uh, for gamification. And he's got eight, eight elements in his map, which uh, he uses to, to identify what kind of mechanics uh, a certain brand or a certain game title has or a certain learning program values and has. So, so the more holistic, the better. But then there will always be um, games that skew towards one or two or three mechanics more or one or two or three sets of mechanics more than the others. So Octalis is, is that one. And lastly, I also use um, Jesse Shell's uh, app which is uh, called Game Design. So you can find this on the Play Store or the App Store. And it's this, he's written an entire book on this, uh, which is uh, called A Deck of Lenses. And, um, and he has this app. I mean, if you read the book, it's brilliant because the book is very, very insightful. But if you don't, you can, you can still uh, simply download the app on your, on your iPhone or your Android phone, and you could learn uh, about that. Uh, about the various mechanics that you could filter your program or your game through.
0: Oh my gosh, what a rich resource. I can't wait to go check that out. So Mosin, you have been um, so open and generous with uh, what you've shared today. Will you tell um, our audience kind of your best and final advice or tips for if they want to just start um, thinking about game mechanics and where they can find you, and of course your certification program. Like, um, how do how can they um, find your website? And uh, yeah, just your best final advice for getting started.
1: Sure, um, getting started. Don't just get started. Don't think too much. I think when we think too much, we complicate things. Oh, what about this? What about that? And then, and then we we start to get in our own way. You know, uh, I would say just get started. Don't think too much. Do something and, and fail. Fail often and, and keep trying. Uh, learn from, from your mistakes along the way. You know, I'm, I'm extremely open when it comes to, to feedback or suggestions. I've got so many people reaching out to me, asking me about various, uh, you know, ideas or, or evaluation. Can you play test my game or can you take a look at this and let me know what you think? So I'm, I'm always available to, to respond. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can look me up. Um, and if you're interested in the, the certification program, just head over to gamitar.com, G-A-M-I-T-A-R.com, or just look up Evive certification program on Google. And, yeah, my final piece of advice is get started and and try it. Just just go.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like that, that's exactly what it is. I mean, you don't know um, what it is until you just start trying it out. Otherwise it all just becomes a bunch of, of theory and words, right? Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time and all that you've shared with us. And I'm sure everyone it, looks forward to connecting with you.
1: And I look forward to it as well. Thank you for having me here, Robin.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you wanna become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.